0: to be uh, with you again. I know I'm new uh, to some of you and to others of you I'm, I'm old. I'd be metaphorically speaking. I, I turned 49 this year last this month actually so I'm kind of ramping into your 50 now, going big, going bold. It's gonna be a great year, right? I love this series that we've been going through this summer and I say we because I've been following along uh, with you all through the beauty and the miracle of Cornerstone TV. I go up into my office this summer and I come on the website and I've been watching your pastors and guest speakers talk about this this incredible theme of courageous living. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in challenging times? I'm particularly drawn to it because I, like you, have big challenges that I have to face and oftentimes am overwhelmed by them and intimidated by them and I want to live courageously in the face of them. Life in general is kind of uh, one day after the no- another. Well, actually, it is one day after another. One plus one equals two, you know, that kind of thing. But um, it seems like often, you know, the days just kind of blend together, doesn't it? I mean, you just you get up and you, you do whatever it is you do. If you have a job, you go to work. If you have a family, you take care of your family. Uh, you know, you go to the beach, whatever it is. Well, you don't go to the beach in San Francisco. But anyway, uh, not in the summer. <laughs> But the reality is is that most of us just kind of live our lives, and the days kind of pass by. But every once in a while, you have a day unlike any other day. Um, It's a day that you remember. It's a day that's impactful. uh, It's it's kind of a day that you hadn't maybe planned for, you may not even hoped for, uh, you may not even wish for. but But it comes. And that day happened for thousands of people on the date of March 3rd of this last year. Now, for me, March 3rd was like any other day, but... For people who were cruising on the cruise ship Louis Majesty in the Mediterranean Sea, it was unlike any other day they had ever experienced. Because midway uh, through their day, while many of them were at the buffet table, and some were just hanging out, and the seas were calm, in the middle of that, suddenly, a wave came out of nowhere that reached about 33 feet, and slammed into the ship, breaking windows of flooding, corridors, injuring numbers, and killing two. Now, if you were on that cruise ship, that was not a normal day. It's interesting, the media talked about this, and they said that abnormally large waves had hit the ship. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, if I had been on that cruise ship, abnormally large would not have described it adequately. 33-foot waves is not just abnormally large, In fact, a 33-foot wave is often referred to as a rogue wave. Now, I didn't know anything about rogue waves until last summer when I was attending a leadership conference put on by Willow Creek Church back in the Chicagoland area, and their pastor, Bill Hybels, was talking about the idea of rogue waves. He's an accomplished sailor, so he really knows what he's talking about. And he described a rogue wave this way. He said, a rogue wave is like a freak wave. It's a, a, a huge wave, a monster wave, a killer wave um, that is large and spontaneous and it's unpredictable and it comes out of nowhere. A rogue wave is different than just rough seas because a rogue wave literally appears without warning. You can be sailing along one minute in calm seas and the next minute a rogue wave comes and hits you. You don't want to hit a rogue wave if you're on the sea. It's not a pleasant experience. Uh, maybe you saw the movie The Perfect Storm. Uh, that was a movie about a ship hitting a rogue wave. If you don't remember the movie, maybe you remember that George Clooney was in that movie. That's how I remember the movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Amazing, really. I thought it might be interesting for us to see some pictures of what are often interpreted as rogue waves. So I've got some images I want to share with you if you look at the screen. Right here, you see a big tanker that's being overtaken right over its decks by a rogue wave. The next one is even a little bit more dramatic. It's really like it's parting. The tanker is parting the seas, and the seas are just really enveloping it. And this last one is, is my favorite. It's a submarine that's heading straight in to a rogue wave. Now, unlike us, the submarine has the advantage that they can say, dive, dive, dive. We can't do that. Do you ever feel like your life has been hit by a rogue wave? Do you ever feel like you've kind of been moving along and and things seem calm and you're just doing life as you always do it day in and day out and then suddenly and inexplicably without warning something comes crashing into your life and you didn't ask for it and you didn't want it but it's there. I know I have. Rogue waves are challenging and I, I want to talk a little bit this morning about what it might look like for us to live courageously in the face of the rogue waves of our lives. And I want to do that by looking at a text in the Gospel of Matthew. So you can look in your handout. We're going to look at Matthew 14. Right before this uh, event that happens in Matthew 14, Jesus has been working with people. He's been ministering to them. He's performed a miracle. He's fed the 5,000. It's It's one of those kinds of things that you you read in the Bible and you just go, wow, I can't even quite get my hands around what that must have been like to be there. And his disciples, the 12 guys that hung out with him, that that followed him, that were learning from him and growing with him, were there and following right after this situation, uh, we meet the disciples and we see what their life looked like when they hit a situation that forces them to live courageously. And we're going to start at verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Don't you love Peter? He's so bold, you know. Now, I'm sure maybe in Peter's mind, he was kind of doing this little test for Jesus, but I don't think he really thought Jesus was going to tell him to come out onto the water. But what does Jesus say to him? Come on. Come on. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. Now, I like Matthew 14 because I think it kind of helps us get an idea of what it's like for us to face rogue ways in our lives and to live courageously through them. I, I like it because the disciples are like you and me. I mean, they're, they're just people. They're people who are just trying to live their lives. They're following Jesus. They're doing the best they can day in and day out. And they face a challenge they weren't expecting. So what does Matthew 14 have to tell us about facing these challenges and living courageously through them? Well, I think it tells us a couple of things. I think, first of all, it tells us that courageous living defines and faces our challenges. If we're going to live courageously, we're going to find what our challenges are, and we're going to face them. Now, it's kind of interesting. You might think that the disciples lived in sort of a a hazard-free zone since they were with Jesus all the time. Like maybe they were kind of protected from adversity. I know that a lot of times I have people who are followers of Jesus, and I include myself in this, frankly, who oftentimes will think to themselves and will say out loud, I don't understand it. I thought that when I signed on with Jesus, everything was going to work out. And now all that seems to be happening in my life is chaos and challenge and pain. And oftentimes when I get to that place myself or when I'm talking with someone who's in that same place, sometimes I'll say, you know, I, I wonder what it means for everything to work out okay. Because sometimes my definition of things working out okay and God's definition are not the same. You see, just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to face adversity or challenges. We will. We are. Some of you are right in the middle of them. I think it's interesting that when we think about life, we really stop for a minute and kind of think how crazy life really is. I mean, most of us have fairly serene lives. I get that. We're fairly secure. But the world around us can be kind of crazy. People do strange things. They, they hit a wall. They break. Uh, I was watching the news the last few weeks and reading in the paper uh, about a couple of incidents that I thought, wow, this is fascinating to me. Maybe because I thought I could see myself maybe doing this. The first one was about a fellow named Stephen Slater. Anybody follow Stephen Slater's story? He was a JetBlue flight attendant. So evidently, one day, Stephen had enough. Now God bless flight attendants, that's what I say. Because I don't know why anyone could do that job. Because the first criteria is you have to always be nice. That disqualifies me right there. (laughs) You have to be friendly, you have to be kind, you have to be helpful, and evidently, for whatever reason, and we're not really sure because the story kind of keeps shifting and changing, it doesn't really matter, he was done. And so you know what Stephen Slater did? He pulled the switch that let the escape slide to the plane out. He grabbed a couple of beers, and he slid out of the plane. <laughs> now, I don't know if he took his shoes off before he went down the slide, but you know, that, that's what flight attendants tell you you have to do. But it's kind of crazy. I mean, can you imagine being on that plane, and all of a sudden somebody just like, forget it, <laughs> out the escape slide, oh, and give me a couple beers <laughs> for the road. There was a part of me that kind of admired him in a way. I was like, you go, Steve. This incident was followed by a woman in the state of Ohio who at 6.30 in the morning drove to a McDonald's restaurant and asked for Chicken McNuggets. Now, I don't know if you know this, but they don't serve Chicken McNuggets at 6.30 in the morning at McDonald's, at least not the ones that I've gone to. And I, I love McDonald's. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not a health food person. I, I love junk food. I love the McNugget. I, I love it with barbecue sauce. I love it with ranch dressing. I, really, I could dip it in whipped cream. It doesn't matter. I love it. So I, I can kind of relate to this woman because she loved the McNugget. And at 6.30 in the morning, that's what she wanted. And she went to the drive-up window, and they said, I'm sorry, ma'am. We don't do McNuggets in the morning. Well, that wasn't okay with her. And so she got out of her car, and she hit the person at the drive-thru window. She just gave him a right hook. Now, the manager got involved, because every good manager wants to lead by example, and so the manager of the McDonald's came out, and the manager grabbed the assailant by the hair and started pulling her through the window. (laughs) Now, that's some managerial skills right there. (laughs) I want you to pass this along to Pastor Terry. The staff got together, pulled the manager off, calmed everything down. The woman who wanted her McNuggets went back to her car. She took some object out of her car, threw it through the window, sped off. The next person in line drove up, got their meal handed through the hole in the window. <laughs> the show must go on. I don't know what it was about those McNuggets, but they must have been darn good at that McDonald's in Ohio. Now, you know, you laugh, and I laugh, but I, I kind of get it. I kind of get where you get to a place in, in your day. I mean, that's early in the day, I know. Where you just say, I'm done. You know, this is what, you just feel a little crazy. We can laugh at stories like that. But there are a lot of stories in our lives that aren't funny. They're real. And they're painful. And they're debilitating. And they're difficult. And they're challenging. And they're like a rogue wave that come out of nowhere and hit us and capsize us. Challenges like Joblessness. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you have been looking for jobs for years, literally. could be a challenge in a relationship, a marriage maybe. It's just gone awry. A rogue wave hit. You didn't know what happened. You thought everything was fine. And suddenly, somebody's unhappy. Somebody wants something different. Maybe relationally, you're, you're lonesome. You go, man, I, I want someone in my life who I can partner with. And be close to, and that loneliness overwhelms you. It's like drowning. It could be a spiritual rogue wave. Something happens in your life and it just capsizes you spiritually. You think, I'm just not sure where God is in the middle of this. It could be a medical condition. Something's come your way. You thought, I, I'm not the person who gets cancer, but you are got a phone call this last week. I was in occupational therapy waiting for my son to get out. and I got a phone call from my daughter's uh, tutor's boss. My daughter has pretty severe learning disabilities, and at her school they have a special program for kids who struggle with learning. And so uh, she's had a tutor. Her tutor's name is Mindy. Mindy's been with her for four years, and she's been this amazing encouragement to my daughter. She's, she's gotten my daughter to places academically where she never. my daughter never thought she could go. And, She's experienced a lot of success, which has really encouraged her and built her up. She's had spiritual input from her tutor that's built her in her relationship with Jesus. And as a mom, anybody that loves my kid like that, I love. Because they're making a difference in my kid's life. And Mindy's boss called me and said, I was wondering if you'd heard what happened uh, to Mindy. And so immediately, my greatest fear was, oh my gosh, she quit. And now that's going to influence my daughter, and that's going to be a, a rogue wave in her life. So I said, did she quit? And she said, oh, no, 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 she didn't quit. Uh, she said her son, Michael, was out on his birthday. And he dove into the American River, and he broke his neck. He was paralyzed from the chest down. He was 21 years old. I couldn't barely breathe when she told me that. Because I thought irrevocably, this young man, his name is Michael, you could pray for him. His life has been changed for forever. Her life, Mindy's life, has been changed for forever. A wave came in and hit hard. That's what the waves are like in life sometimes. It's easy for us, I think, when rogue waves hit us to want to kind of hide from them, to want to hide, to pretend like it didn't happen. This isn't happening to me. Surely this can't happen to me. The word we use for that in the world of psychology is denial. It can be a great friend to us, but it can also be a real foe. Because really for us to live courageously, we can't deny the challenges that we have. We can't pretend like they're not there. The disciples were out in the boat. There was a storm around them. We don't know that they faced a rogue wave, but we know it was a rogue storm. It came out of nowhere. They couldn't pretend it wasn't there. They couldn't close their eyes and go, if I open my eyes, I'll wake up and it'll be calm out. Their boat was being destroyed. They were in the middle of it. They had to face the challenge they were in. And for us to live courageously we have to face the challenges. We can't deny them, nor can we over-spiritualize them. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to kind of over-spiritualize things, to kind of try and make them more palatable. You know, there's nothing palatable about losing a job. There's nothing palatable about being sick. There's nothing palatable about getting cancer or being paralyzed or having relational stress. It's not palatable. That's reality. And we can't just make it go away by saying uh, a Bible verse, maybe. Or by saying, I just have to pray more. Or by saying, well, I know God's in control. Now let me tell you something. The Bible is powerful. The words in the Bible are there to encourage us. Prayer is powerful. And God is in control of our lives. But these things are not meant to be a band-aid that we can slap on top of challenges to say, see, look, they're all gone. These things are part of what help us navigate through them, which help us face them courageously and walk boldly into them. I did some research on rogue waves just because I'm kind of obsessive-compulsive about stuff like this, so when I find out about it, I'm kind of like, oh, now I want to know everything. So I went on YouTube, and I watched videos of rogue waves, and I got pictures of rogue waves, and I read articles on rogue waves, and here's one thing everybody agrees on in the rogue wave community. (laughs) The one thing you don't want to do if a rogue wave comes at you, if you can avoid this, is you do not want to turn your boat sideways into the wave. You know why? Because if you do, what's going to happen? You're going to capsize. You're toast. There's no hope. Now, there's a couple other theories that float around in terms of what you should do. Now, one of those theories says, well, you know what you should do is you should turn your boat around and go the other way. Now, I kind of find this curious, because how fast can you turn a boat around? I mean, in the middle of a rogue wave, I I don't think very fast. I'm not an expert sailor, I, I don't know, but I'm fairly certain that if you're in a rogue wave, turning around might be a difficult option and running away from it. But that's one theory. The other theory is this one, and this is one I found way more fascinating, and I think more realistic. When you hit a rogue wave, you head right into it. Now it's counterintuitive to us, isn't it? We want to get the heck out. But you go right into it, and you face it, and you move through it. And you see the parallel for us? In our lives, we have to go right into those rogue waves that we face. We can't go around it, we can't go under it, we can't hop over it, we've got to go through it. And the thing for us is this, that we're not going through it alone. We're not gritting our teeth and hoping for the best. We're going through it with Jesus. You know, in this text, it's so interesting to me, and I think maybe it gets overlooked. Jesus is out there on the water, and he's out there in the middle of the storm. Jesus is existing in the midst of chaos. It's not that Jesus had to be out on the sea when it was calm. Jesus is more than comfortable being in the midst of turbulence. It doesn't bother him. Because he's above that. He has the power over it and to live in it. Jesus walks with us in our storm. Which leads us to the second thing I think Matthew has to tell us about courageous living. And that's this, that courageous living believes that we can navigate through the rogue waves. But not by our own power. I I can't try harder. I can't wish myself through a rogue wave in my life. I have to trust in the power and the presence of Jesus to help me navigate through it. I have to call out to Jesus. It's easy in the midst of the storms of life to freak out. We all do it. The disciples did it. And these were the people that saw Jesus face to face every day, walked with him, ate with him, talked with him, saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And still in the midst of the rogue wave or the rogue storm that they faced, They freaked out, and they weren't even sure it was Jesus when they saw him. Now, here's what Jesus says, which I love. He stops everything, and he says, Guys, wait. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. It's me. You're looking at me. Courage and lack of fear and the ability to navigate through the challenges of our lives is completely and entirely based on Jesus, on who Jesus is. When we keep ourselves fixed and focused on Jesus as the navigational tool in our lives, that's how we get through the rogue waves. Because he's the one that exists in chaos and can live in it and can navigate through us. We cannot. You see, Peter could walk on the water not because he was better than the other disciples, or he was smarter, or even had more faith. He could do it because he kept his eyes on Jesus. And he got out because he he knew it was Jesus who told him to do so. And when Jesus said it, he did it. And the minute he looked around him, and he saw circumstances, and he saw the water, and he saw the storms, and felt the wind, he started to sink. I guess it wouldn't really be a typical summer for me to come to Cornerstone if I didn't tell you at least one story about my son, Trent. And for those of you who know me, you've heard a lot of stories about Trent, but for those of you who don't, uh, my youngest is 12 years old. His name is Trent, and he has autism. And so Trent has afforded me a number of opportunities to experience rogue wave-type challenges. Sometimes they're big waves, sometimes they're small waves. But our most recent one came this spring when... My husband, Dan, was traveling, and it was the evening, and my daughter, Maggie, she's 13, and she was up in her room like a lot of 13-year-olds do. The door was closed. The iPod was on. She was dancing around doing her thing. I'm good with that. Go for it, Maggie. That's awesome. I was reading a magazine. Trent was doing his thing. Now, in most homes, when a home is silent, parents are grateful. In my home, when the home is silent, I'm nervous because that means I don't know where Trent is. And if I don't know where Trent is, about 99.9% of the time, that means there's trouble. So suddenly, I heard nothing, which in my world is a storm. And so I started searching around the downstairs for Trent. Trent, 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 Trent. No Trent. Maybe you need to understand something about our home. Our home is kind of like Uh, our neighbor down the street, Folsom State Prison. Uh, We have it locked down a lot. Uh, We've learned a lot from our neighbors and, and that's because Trent likes to run away. And so we have to keep him safe by keeping our home safe. So you really can't get out of our house unless you have like the magic key. Or you can fit through a dog door, which we learned last year. So that's now shut up. So I'm walking around the downstairs, everything's locked up, no Trent. I walk upstairs, bedroom door locked up, his door locked up, Maggie's door is closed, and I know if Trent were in there, I would be hearing about it. Suddenly I look over and my office door is open. Now, I keep my office door locked. Now, I'm not going to blame Maggie for my office door being open. Thanks, Maggie. But sure enough, the door was open. And all I saw when I walked in the door was this. The soles of two feet heading out the window. So immediately, I thought, i got to get that kid back in the window because he's going out onto the roof, the second story roof. And one thing that's unique to a lot of autistic children is they don't have a sense of fear. So they don't know that being on the second story roof of a home is dangerous. I climbed on my roof at home all the time as a kid, but I also had a sense of fear. I knew There was danger involved. I knew I couldn't, I shouldn't stay close to the edge. My mother wasn't thrilled about me being on the roof, but she knew I had some sense. Very little, but some. Trent does not have that. So when he goes out on the roof, it's like being on the sidewalk in a park to him. So I reached over, I have a big desk in front of my window in my office, and I reach over and I grab his ankles. Well, this is just pure physics, you guys. You know right there, inertia is on his side because all I've got is his ankles and he's moving out. And I have an object in front of me blocking me. So he gets out the window and he starts scampering across the roof. Now here's the thing. Really, these kind of situations, they just have this edge of humor to them. So if you want to laugh, feel free, because I laugh about it all the time. Because that's—I mean, what else can you do? You know, You just kind of got to laugh. Otherwise you're going to scream, which came later. I get out onto the roof, my 49-year-old self, er, You know, going through the window, Trent, come back, come back, come back. Well, you know, it's like a cartoon. He looks at me, and he runs the other way. Of course he does. So now I'm running across the roof. So now we have two people running across the roof, ready to fall off. It's a tile roof. It's slippery. It's not you know, like a shake roof where you can have some ability to get some traction. Well, I finally caught up to him, and I took his hand, and I was like, come inside. And he did not want to come inside. So he does what every two-year-old child does, except he's in a 12-year-old body. He plants himself down and says, no, no, no. Now, Trent is very strong. And I could not move him. And all I could think of was this. We are going to call falling off this roof while my daughter's dancing in her room, completely oblivious. <laughs> I had no one to call on. My husband wasn't there. For whatever reason, no one was out in the streets of Folsom that night. It was just really weird. I mean, usually people are walking their dog or whatever. No one, nothing. I mean, I couldn't yell, save me, because there was no one there. And I started freaking out. The wave became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then suddenly, I think really, to be honest with you, out of pure desperation, it was actually out of no sense of spiritual maturity on my part, or, you know, I'm just like Jesus. I just said, God, help me. Now, it would have been nice if that had been my first response. I, I recognize that. But that's rarely the, tr- the true first response I have. I'm a little embarrassed to share that, but there you go. I said, God, help me. I don't know what to do. And I kind of centered myself in that moment. It's kind of like Peter. Save me. And I grabbed Trent by the wrists and I pulled him with everything I had. And I just pulled him across the roof, and I pulled him through the window. And just at that moment, my daughter put her head out, and she said, were you needing some help? I said, no. Kind of gathered my composure, you know, got him settled, gathered my composure. and, And I thought, man, you know, if I had focused on Jesus being there and his presence and power... I might have not freaked out quite so much. I mean, all I kept looking at was the edge of the roof. Now, that's not a bad thing. You should look at the edge of the roof if you're on the roof. But I had my eyes focused on the challenge rather than on Jesus. Now, the reality is this, you guys. Sometimes, kids fall off roofs. That doesn't mean Jesus isn't powerful or present. but that makes it a lot more complicated and confusing for us and perplexing. You know, sometimes we can cry out, God save me, and God works like that. And it's a miracle, and we're amazed. Sometimes we, we don't even realize we're crying out. We don't even have an ounce of faith, not even a teeny tiny bit of faith, and God works, and sometimes we cry out, and we beg, and we plead, and things don't work out the way we hoped. And I don't get it. Maybe I just have a pea sized brain. It is one of the mysteries of faith for me. The tension between knowing that God is powerful and sometimes things not working exactly according to plan. My plan. I live it every day. I get it. But my experience or your experience doesn't determine who God is. God is powerful and God is present regardless of the circumstances in our lives. God is able to reach out a hand to us. Regardless of whether we feel it or it feels too late or it doesn't seem strong enough, his hand is there. Interestingly, in the the text, you know, the, the storm didn't die right away. You know, Peter called out to Jesus, save me. Jesus reached out and took him, but there was still a storm going on. Jesus grabs us in the middle of the storm. It doesn't mean the storm's always calmed right away. The storm didn't get calmed until they got back into the boat. The storm will calm. It will calm. There will be resolve. We will get through it. Sometimes it takes longer than other times. But the only way we're going to get through it is if we grab the hand that's reaching out to us. See, the question for us today isn't, will we have storms? Will we have road waves? We will and we do. The question is, how will we handle them? The band's going to come up in just a minute and close us with a song. We're going to have a time of giving. But before we do that, let me pray for us. God, we're grateful that, that you are a God who can face all the challenges of our lives, that there is nothing that's impossible for you. God, would you give us courage, each person here today, whatever rogue wave they're facing or whatever rogue wave they might be helping another face, would you give us all the courage to step into those challenges, grabbing hold of the hand you offer us? And by your mercy, O oh God, would you bring us through those storms? But thank you that you do save us in ways that we can't even put words to and in ways which has changed us forever. And we give out of our gratitude for that. And we're thankful and we're grateful people. In your name we pray.